The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is this week's host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Rob Haupt. I'm the uh, Vice President of Business Development at Autism Spectrum Therapies. Um, if you were uh, tuning in a bit earlier, you probably saw we had some technical difficulties. But, you know, what else should we expect given the last week? The Super Bowl had a blackout. I tried to host a show from New Orleans. That didn't quite work out so well. Uh, so, you know, we're just going with the flow and going with uh, – an overall chaotic week. Um, I do apologize that we weren't able to have that live show last week. I was so excited to um, to host live from New Orleans and and actually try and incorporate a couple of uh, some of my friends locally uh, into the show, but it became a, a much more complicated um, adventure to try and pull that off, both uh, logistically, scheduling, you name it, technology. It was it was just a, a challenge for me. Um, but I do hope you enjoyed uh, the rebroadcast we aired because it's one of my favorite shows. I've been – I've really just been drawing from it a lot. I mean I, I think I've told you guys in some of my intros that um, just uh, reflecting on some of the, the loss and the grief counseling and that conversation and, and just how it tied into a, a rough end to 2012 for me personally, um, I, I found myself going back to those conversations and I thought it was uh, just a great topic to, uh, to re-air. Um, but, uh, this week, uh, as I said, crazy, crazy week. Uh, it wasn't just some of those technological things. Um, I know I, I think I've had one of the busier weeks that I had in, in quite some time, uh, between flying to Portland, flying to New Orleans, and then coming back and having actually my mom and dad come out from New York to, uh, come to California to watch the game with me. Um, that's always, uh, a little bit more pressure for, for me and, and probably more so for my wife to have the in-laws in town and, and to go through all of that. Um, but I was, I was really excited. My, my folks um, were talking about the show, and they said they've been listening. And um, I think I've told everyone my mom is a public school teacher. She teaches math in the high schools, and she has a uh, bit of a special ed background and teaches some um, special ed courses as well as some honors courses at her high and um, I know she really enjoyed it and said that some of her friends and some of the teachers she works with have uh, have given them a listen to um, find out some more about autism and some of the different uh, strategies and therapies and, and just become more aware. So that was really cool. I was I was glad that I got my mom's approval of, you know, job well done, son. Um, but I want to talk also a little bit about New Orleans. I I had a great trip. 
Um, ooh, heard a little buzz there. Um, I, I had a great trip to New Orleans and um, got to spend some time with my staff. I, I think I mentioned uh, the week prior that we're about to open a brand new office and a brand new uh, clinic uh, in the city. And I'm just so excited about that. And I've got this new young team. Uh, we've only been there for a year. And so I got to sit down and have lunch with all of them. And I just had the 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 best day with them, just feeding off of their energy. It was it was amazing. I, I've been doing this for a long time, and, and I've been working with a lot of new people over the years, but I've also worked with a lot of folks for years and years. Uh, clinical director here in Southern California, her and I have been working together now for about eight years. I, I don't know where the time's gone, but we, we've got an eight-year close um, friendship and, and working relationship with one another. So to sit in uh, at lunch with 10 people who are all within their first year with AST, and some of them have been in the field for quite some time. Some of them are newer to the field, as most of you out there know. There's so many you know, young BIs um, and interventionists out there who are, who are beginning their careers. Um, I just got so excited um, to sit back and watch them and to listen to them and to be each other's cheerleaders and how much pride they took in the kids they work with and how much they were really passionate about the parents they worked with. And we were talking a little bit about um, our last show from two weeks ago with uh, Dana Weber. I was mentioning it to them. Um, the, the team down there actually really loves the show and likes to hear the guests and, and especially the parents. And, you know, one of the things that they reminded me and uh, talked about is, you know, Dana was was very clear about, I want to learn the science. I'm passionate about this. I want this. Um, I want to get down and dirty right away. And from their perspective, they said, you know, we've, we've had these conversations. Not every parent is like that. And I, and I thought that was a great reminder of, you know, everyone is at a different point. Everyone's at a different stage. Everyone's at a different place. And, um, you know, Dana's the type of person who maybe personality or where she is in her son Jack's journey, she has a certain point of view and um, wants certain things. And um, another parent who maybe is in a completely different space personally, professionally, geographically, uh, diagnosis-wise, uh, et cetera, just maybe in a completely different space, maybe looking for completely different things, may need a different degree of support to ultimately get to where Dana is at. Um, or maybe it's a completely different point where they're hoping to get to. But that everything is a little different and everyone is a little different. And just like they have a different perspective as young interventionists of the therapy and where they're going as a professional and how they're um, working with their kids, so too do some of our parents um, find themselves at different stages and different points. And looking for different things. So uh, with this idea of different, um, I want to introduce this week's show because we're going in a very different direction. Uh, we're, we're actually tackling um, a topic and having a conversation and dialogue that we've never had on this show. Um, it's one that I actually uh, know a little bit about, but don't know a ton about. So I'm actually interested to uh, to really hear some of the answers from our guest and, and really uh, – dive into some different subjects um, and and have uh, a slightly different conversation and dialogue. 
Um, but so for some of you out there, this may be the perfect conversation and the perfect dialogue uh, for where you and your child are right now. Uh, so this week I am uh, joined by uh, Lauren Henry. Um, and Lauren Henry is someone who specializes in uh, sensory design, which, as I said, we've, we've never gone into before. Uh, Lauren is a sensory designer, a color consultant, author and speaker, as well as the president and founder of With a Brush of Love, a company that transformed lives of children diagnosed with autism and special needs through their surroundings. Uh, this is accomplished by focusing on sensory elements such as color, lighting, spatial organization, texture, sound, and scent, um, elements that basically are around us and surround us every day. Uh, she's been a guest designer on HGTV's Kid Space and ABC's Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Clients also include Children's National Medical Center, as well as St. Jude's Hospital. She was awarded the Customer Service Rave Reviews Award as one of the top 10 best service-oriented companies from the Washington Business Journal. Uh, Lauren works worldwide for clients such as the U.S. Military Exceptional Family Member Program in Okinawa and Hands-On Tokyo in Japan. Uh, her book, Unique Kids, Unique Surroundings, was released in September of 2009 and was highlighted in the September 2010 issue of the Huffington Post. She provides design services, conducts seminars, workshops, as well as private consultation. Uh, Lauren, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. That is a um, wonderful introduction, and I'm really excited to to be here and be a part of Autism Spectrum Radio. I think what you guys do is so important and um, fulfills such a need in the community as far as information and support. So thank you for that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's I, I we've been talking on the show for months now. I think the most important thing is the dialogue. It's getting information out there. Um, you know, we have this amazing community, and it's it's only growing. And uh, we we need to arm ourselves with with good information to um, to expand the conversations to more and more people. So I'm excited that you can join us and uh, and add one more conversation. Thank you so much, and and I agree with everything you said. It's growing exponentially so quickly. With you know, it's not even necessary to state the obvious now that it's one yeah. out of 88 and the amount of support and information uh, just needs to continue to grow uh, because the need is growing so fast it's hard to keep up with it and there really is so many areas of support available that people are still not aware of and I think we have a positive problem which is that there's so much to offer and not enough ways to get the information out in a really clear, succinct form, quite yet. We're working on it, and I think it's wonderful how many outlets are popping up all over the place. So yeah. definitely a positive problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about sensory design. I mean, just for, um, for I mean, everyone out there who's brand new to it, if, if you could kind of tell us, like, what is sensory design? Okay, well, basically, which, you know, it's always the, the most important question because people often tend to assume that it is some sort of interior design mm -hmm. or feng shui and so I want to clarify that interior design is uh, basically aesthetic. It's based on budget, personality, trend and everything, everything aesthetic which is very important. It's wonderful. All of these different types of design have their place and, and are obviously very functional. Feng shui has to do solely with energy 
and how to set yourselves up within your space energetically so that there is a flow within your space and that wherever you're situated, everything is set up to work for you. Um, and, and, you know, energy is obviously a real thing. Some people feel it's a little woo-woo for them. Some people uh, feel that they can't function without it. But wherever you are, feng shui definitely has its place. I'm here to explain that sensory design is not the same as interior design, and is not feng shui, although it can be, feng shui can be incorporated into sensory design. What sensory design is, is it's very fundamental. It's not decorative in terms of what its focus is. Um, so basically, we go from the back end, and we look at the emotional, mental, cognitive, intellectual needs of the client, which is typically a child, but not always. Mm-hmm. We look at the challenges that that child's having. We look at the challenges of the family as a whole. And we look at the goals of both the child and the family. And then we look at what is working and what is not working in the home, whether it just be, most importantly, the child's room, or if it's the whole home, or if the room is often used as also a therapy space, which happens very often in many houses many homes, a lot of rooms have multi-purposes. And, you know, as parents, especially women, we, the last thing we're thinking of with children, particularly those on the spectrum, is what we like or what our needs are or anything that has to do with the way a home might be set up in terms of um, design. You know, your, your focus is your child and are they okay? Let's be honest. But, Part of the issue with that is that we spend so many thousands of dollars on all different types of therapies, which our kids need. The problem is that very often they're being done in spaces that are counterintuitive and counterproductive to what that function is supposed to be. So as an example, if you are, you know, you have your, your speech therapist or your occupational therapist or whatever function you're supposed to have occur in a space. And that space is set up where it's creating a lot of extra stimulation, a lot of extra visual chaos, uh, a lot of anxiety is being stirred up for your child internally. You are not aware of it, nor is the therapist, all because of the surroundings then the job of that therapist becomes twice as difficult and the progress you are going to see in your child becomes um, slowed. And so basically what's happening is you're spending all of this money, you're not getting the results that you could get or that you should get, and you end up eventually blaming the therapist, blaming the child, assuming that you don't have the right support, assuming something's wrong, when really a lot of it has to do with the surroundings. So the way that I explain it the most easily to people is to say, when you go to a spa, no matter how you're feeling when you walk in, that spa is set up from every aspect, sound, scent, even taste, you know, when you're having your spa water, every single aspect of one's sensory element is set up so that your mind, body, spirit, soul is immediately buoyed, if you will, mm-hmm. into a calm state, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you want every room in your home or optimally the room of the individual that is challenged with autism to do the same thing. 
it's an assistive technology. You want the room to do half the work for you. So if that room is intended to be a room where your child feels safe, can self-soothe, will sleep through the night, and even possibly also have a therapy in that space, you need to set it up almost like a puzzle would be set up. You, you know, a puzzle fits together very specifically. You have to have the right piece in the right spot. And if you don't, or if you're missing a piece, it will not look the same. It will not be complete. It won't work as well. Mm-hmm. And you can't so- substitute a piece that looks like it would fit for the one that does fit, right? That's very similar to the way we design a space. So I'm talking not just about the elements that you mentioned, but I mean, I get into the detail of what is the comforter made of? How many picture frames are on the wall? Where are they? What are they made of? What are the corners like? Are they pointed? Are they round? What are the pictures in the frame? What type of lighting? What's the finish of the paint? Because the type of lighting that you have bouncing off a different finish of a paint is going to be different. Is it matte? Is it semi-glossy? Is it glossy? Is there two coats or one? Is it daylight? Is it uh, artificial light? What kind of artificial light? You see what I'm saying? It's every single element goes into creating a space that allows you to work at an optimal level based on what is intended to happen in the space and based on the subject or the individual that is utilizing that space. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I- it's a very fundamental type of design. It's not something that, oh, you know, it would be, it would be nice to make the room look pretty. Of course we, we work in the appropriate aesthetic, meaning that it's trend conscious. It's something that has to do with what the child um, likes, it's age-appropriate, and all of that. Of course, we include that. But what's most important is that it supports your child almost like, what an, you know, a, for lack of a better example, like a wheelchair would be to, to an individual who can't walk, but it's invisible. So in other words, it's an, it's an actual working support that's taking some of the effort off of your child and, and off of your therapist or off of the family so that they can function better. So a child that's not sleeping, several of my clients have these um, similar reactions and responses because it's very typical for children on the spectrum to have trouble sleeping through the night. So that's one of the number one issues my clients come to me with. And it's very typical, if not always, uh, one of the, the um, things that occurs instantly that when we get the room finished, a child who doesn't sleep through the night or who often doesn't like to even be in their room will not only gravitate to being in their room on their own, but they sleep through the night almost immediately. Well, I guess my question, my question for you is, I mean, a lot of what you're describing is actually something um, and, and some, a program I got exposed to um, when I used to work at a, a homeless shelter in, uh, in Connecticut. Um, I spent... Um, uh, about a, a school year working and volunteering at a shelter there. And the director actually was really, really into what you were talking about. He had seen some research. He had gone to some seminars. And I remember having a lot of conversations with him because I was his manual labor. I was the one painting the room right. with the lighting, with the color, with the appropriate gloss. Um, so he would kind of design it and then 
me and a couple friends, our job was to basically do it, to build right. it, to put it all together. And so I guess my first question for you within this framework is how much of this is just really general, um, I guess, best practice of setting the stage for just human beings um, versus autism? Because well, it, it you know, feels like it's a general human thing. It is. And that's a great comment. Great question. I'm so glad that you brought attention to that because people often think that because I'm specializing in the area of um, autism, and it's really because it's, it makes such an enormous difference so quickly that I started to specialize in it. But what you said is absolutely the basis, the fact. Color affecting emotion, period, is not a new theory. It's certainly not mine. This has been the way it is for bazillions of years, for, um, for lack of a better phrase. Um, this is not something that is new, a new idea. It's new in terms of it being used in an intentional way within the autism special needs community. It's new that someone can see such a major shift happen from something that's simple. But the, the fact is, we are all, every one of us on the planet, affected by all of our sensory surroundings. And that is why each of us gravitates towards certain colors and are repelled by certain environments. That's why you walk into someone's home and one person loves it, feels really cozy, doesn't want to leave, and someone else after 10 minutes needs to walk out. They're getting a headache. They're fidgety. They are uncomfortable. Some of us are very sensory sensitive and don't even realize we are. Some people who have better hearing or more acute taste buds or more acute uh, ability to smell or are very sensitive to space. You know, you can talk about being claustrophobic, of course, but you don't have to have a phobia to that degree to be sensitive to your surroundings. Mm -hmm. And other people really aren't. You know, they're not, they're not bothered by what's around them. They can sleep anywhere. They can do anything anywhere. They can be in Manhattan. They can be in the country. Neither of them will necessarily affect them. Somebody else can be very severely affected. That's also why we have seasonal disorder, people that are affected by the seasons, by sunlight. This is all having to do with our senses. And that is what I find very interesting when I try to express this to parents. When I do seminars and workshops, that's when I get the largest result where parents really suddenly get this aha because we do experiential types of exercises where they get to feel something similar to what their child feels. And, and all of a sudden it's, oh, now I get it. Because I think when we explain this, people tend to, you know, we all want to have a, um, a title to sort of sum up what somebody does. So quickly people will say, oh, I get it. You're an interior designer for special needs kids. No, I'm really not. Oh, it's like feng shui. No, it really isn't. It's really what I call it. It's really sensory design. And, and it's becoming much more popular. People are starting to, to do it and delve into it more. Interior designers are becoming more aware of it. But people just saying, oh, I know, you know, what it is to design for autistic kids or I know what it is to design for special needs. You really want to be clear that they understand because just saying all you need is a pastel color 
or all you need is natural light. That is not designing for special needs or for autism. It's a very specific way of designing. It's not rocket science, but it's very detailed. So and let's, it really you know, is Lauren, I'm going gonna, gonna to cut you off right style. there. I apologize. No, of course, I want to no get problem. into some of those details, but we actually have a, we actually have a commercial break that we need to take right now. So we're going to take a break. And then when we come back with Lauren, we'll talk a little bit more about what are some of those um, components of sensory design that are really important for a child with autism in uh, developing a good environment. So we'll be right back. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio, everybody. Uh, I'm your host, Rob Haupt. Uh, I am joined today by Lauren Henry, uh, a sensory designer. Um, who specialize in sensory design for individuals on the autism spectrum. Um, you know, Lauren, right before the break, you were talking about that there's some specific things you look for um, when you're working with the kids with autism, um, that this isn't just something you kind of, okay, it's it's a shade or it's one thing. Um, I get my My curiosity is, given that this is something that can be overall human behavior, how does this get narrowed down and how does this get focused for an individual on the spectrum? Are there specific sensory things that you look for or is it truly um, the same as if you were looking at sensory design for like me? Um, who, Because I do have environmental issues from time to time too. Uh, again, great question, but I think basically there are general things, like mm-hmm. if a child, you know, a lot of kids on the spectrum are typically needing to be pacified and calmed down very, you know, there's uh, less of them that actually need to be energy uh, energized, rather, where they're very lethargic. So that that being one of the general traits, you want to stay away from, you know, it's a general understanding that you want to stay away from really bright primary colors and using them on a large scale. 
That's mm-hmm. something that's general. Okay. But with each individual child, I'm really looking for what their particular sensitivities are. What mm-hmm. do they react to um, from a positive and a negative standpoint? Is it, ta- is it more tactile? Is it more scent? Is it everything? Is there something that they gravitate to in their home or that they can't live without? And conversely, is there something that they're constantly repelled by running away from, can't handle? Mm-hmm. And then when I get those answers, I can look at the, the staging of their home, where, he, where that child spends the most time. Sometimes it's the bedroom, sometimes it isn't. And sometimes a parent is looking to move the focus of where that child spends their time into the bedroom, and they don't know how to do that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, are there two kids sharing a room? I mean, so that's why everything is so individualized, but it really has to do with what that individual child's particular issues are, and I base everything that I do on that, and then what's working and what is not working in that particular space. Okay. So when you're looking at the... Um... When you're looking at this, um, is there – how important is it for you to physically look at a space versus to have like a parent report to you about their child? Well, interestingly enough, because I work internationally, um, mm-hmm. having Skype, having the internet is how I can work remotely mm. separate from traveling, and I do both. So I always have pictures and dimensions sent to me if I am not going to physically be there to see it myself. Uh-huh. So that makes it much easier for me. And I always get really detailed uh, questionnaires and journaling is part of the uh, process parents go through and caregivers go through when they're working with me. So both sets of parents have to uh, fill out a very detailed questionnaire. They both have to journal for a certain amount of days because patterns emerge from the point of view of, of both male and female. And mm-hmm. we notice different things being male and female. So it's really important that we get that information. And even for same-sex couples or caregivers or grandparents, it's always important to get both people's input because Things are always noticed by one that is not mm-hmm. noticed by another, and there are a lot of patterns and little, uh, basically little, little uh, what's the word I'm looking for, hints, if you will, that you're missing, that your child's behavior is informing you of. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. I mean, and it's it... very inform- informational for me to figure out what is necessary. I mean, it, it sounds like you know when I when I listen to this and, and my my limited understanding all, all of sensory design is, it, it really strikes me as very much of a, a complementary type of approach. Something where I'm setting the stage, and I think you said this: you're setting the stage for a positive therapeutic experience or a positive environment for other things to, to be more likely to occur. You're basically um, optimizing yeah. whatever you're trying to accomplish, just as you would if you wanted your home to, you know, speak your personality in terms of design. But mm-hmm. perhaps you also want to go a step further, and you want it to be functional in design as well. Not design is not always aesthetic. Design is not always functional. Sometimes people pick something they absolutely love from an aesthetic point of view. That if they'd known themselves better and they know how it would affect them, 
they wouldn't necessarily put it in their office. Perhaps they, it, it would be best to have it in their living room. Mm. And so they're loving what they're looking at, but they're fidgety and they can't focus in their office. They don't know why, because they love the design. You mm. see, that's what a lot of people don't understand, and that's where there's a little bit of a, uh, well, there's a, a disconnect between sensory design and interior design. So I often consult with interior designs, uh, designers, mm. uh, excuse me, to give them guidelines based on what that individual might need, but then they can take those guidelines and they can take it from there and do everything that an interior designer does, but it would be more functional rather than purely aesthetic. Got it. When you, when you're, because it seems like there's so much, um, I guess you said, like, there's a lot of different points of views. It's important to get both parents' points of views. And I could see this working well with other therapies, like you were saying, um, setting up a child's room to be both a room that can be soothing and inviting for them when it's just their own time, but mm -hmm. also good for therapy. Do you find that there are times where the goals of the therapist, uh, whether it be like an ABA person like me, an OT or whomever, conflict with the vision of what you're trying to put together? And then how do you guys try and resolve those conflicts? Well, I have to say I haven't had a scenario. I've been doing this for over 10 years. I haven't had a scenario where any design that we've set up has somehow you know, become in conflict with the ability for that particular therapist to accomplish. Oh, wow. I've been, I, I've actually had the therapist come back to me and say, wow, it's even easier for me to focus. Wow. That's great. Yeah. It's been a, a fabulous thing. And there's only been a few times when I've actually been able to talk to the therapist because they're already in place. In other words, the therapist has already been working with the child in the space. They're telling me what they find um, is challenging for the child. Wow and for themselves, and then they come back to me and they tell me the difference that they've seen in a week. I mean, that's the best thing because then parents get an actual, clear, concise shift. They can measure the shift immediately in their own experience at home and from the therapist. So I've never had it conflict. I can tell you that I've had it conflict where uh, uh, the parents want a visual design for themselves of what they want in their home. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's, it's the, advert, the, you know, the exact opposite of what the child's need is. And they're more attached to the design and what they envisioned than what would be best for their child because they're not really feeling certain that it's going to make the difference that I'm explaining it would. That's been a little challenging. And so we have to try to come to, you know, either we don't work together or we try to come to a compromise. Mm. Um, you know, and in that compromise, I will let them know this is what you can expect as opposed to what you could have expected before. But I'm very honest because if I can't do what really must happen, I can't be responsible for the results. Sure. You know, you know, when, when you're doing something like this, I, my, I don't know if it's, um, I, I, I actually just moved into a new place and I, and I'm kind of trying to reshuffle the way I uh, arrange some of my furniture and some of my rooms to fit the space. And uh, I don't know if that factored in, but I thought right away about costs, you know, mm -hmm. okay, furniture, it, it, it seems like it's expensive doing some of this, like how expensive is it 
to do some of this? And is this something that a family can make maybe some small investments within a budget um, yeah. that could maybe make big impact? Yes, I will say yes to all of that, meaning that cool. absolutely there's nothing that anyone can't do from a cost-prohibitive standpoint. As an example, my book that you mentioned, Unique Kids, Unique uh-huh. Surroundings, um, is just a 60-page manual to basically give people the, in, you know, the information to empower them to do something for themselves. So for me, color and lighting is the backbone, absolute backbone, to a, a significant impact as quickly as possible. So if people can't do a lot, and, and you, know, you mentioned the shows I was on, you always have small budgets for those shows. So I'm very used to working on a very small budget. And so you can find a lot of things that can accomplish big difference at Target's, Walmart's, Ikea's, you know, all places like that. The furniture doesn't always have to be so expensive. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously when there's more money to, to play with, you have more options. But you shouldn't feel as though you don't have a choice. The one thing I will say is that it's important when you're going to make a lot of changes that you do it within about a month's time because when you do it piecemeal over six months or a year, you're not going to see as many changes as quickly. You know what I mean? Everything You want something to be completely finished and have that immediate impact where everything is supporting at one time the changes that need to be made. Now, that doesn't mean if you can't do everything immediately, you won't accomplish anything. It just means it's going to be different. The rate of shift oh. and what you can expect will be different. You know, that's really surprising. I, I feel like maybe it's the ABA part and mm-hmm. all my training, but we always talk about step-by-step, gradual change. Um, you do things, small change, and then another small change. Right. Um, or, you know, a, a shaping procedure as mm-hmm. to get technical for a second. Um, so that sudden switch is better or will lead to quicker results, you're saying? Well, the interesting thing is that while our kiddos are so um, attached to routine and consistency, yeah, when you make – they also get attached to things very quickly. So when you don't make when – you're, when you're changing a whole room and your child gets excited – about whatever you're sharing with them. And I also make sure that they have ownership in making these changes. It's really important that it's not drawn out for too long because they're going to attach Mm -hmm. themselves to whatever is there. And if it's not finished or there's something that they have to fill in for themselves, meaning that they have to compensate because it's not all done. In other words, it's not giving them the feeling that they need, that, that hug that they need without without literally hugging them, mm-hmm. it makes it harder at times for them to immediately feel and own the space that they need to own. I don't know if I'm really saying it quite the way I probably should, but all I can tell you is that in the 10 years I've been doing this, the quicker we're able to make a complete shift, mm-hmm. the better the results have been. No, and I, and I understand your point. I think it makes sense, and I really like what you were saying about making sure that the child is involved, because you know that the fear that popped in my head is, okay, you make this change, but you have given the the rigidity that often comes with right. uh, children with autism. You take the the one thing that they really really love, and all of a sudden, you know, all it just becomes crazy because 
that was the one thing you shouldn't have taken away. Um, right. So that and sometimes piece, the thing that the child loves, you know, we want to please our kids. So we uh-huh. have it everywhere. You know, uh-huh. like if they like Spider-Man, you have the pajamas, you have the rug, you sure. have the comforter, you have sometimes, you know, your kids don't know what works for them. They just know what they like. Right. And it's really important that you realize that you don't just think, I just want to make them happy, get everything that they, Spider-Man, you know, there's a lot of things kids like Mm -hmm. that they perseverate on that would really not work on a grand scale. Like ice cream, let's say feeding ice cream every single meal three four times a day yeah kids love ice cream but we don't really feed our kids ice cream all day right i mean and and even if that's a texture if they're trying to get across to you that it's the temperature and the texture that they love okay then there's other ways to do that but yes it's the same thing and and parents don't realize that there are certain things you really can't do but the ownership every child i work with even when they're two there's something in that space that creates an ownership that they recognize it's for them. Even the two-year-old I worked with in Okinawa, Japan, mm-hmm. ran, you know, when the room was done, I mean, I couldn't believe how much the child changed overnight. I, I was floored myself. But mm-hmm. this particular child went into that bedroom and, and jumped around in a circle clapping because it was almost like he was saying, thank you for finally waking up. This mm-hmm. child went from never sleeping it, um, through the night, not wanting to wear clothes, not wanting to have any covers over him, to going into his bedroom on his own, getting into the bed, pulling the cover over himself, and going to sleep. The parents wow. almost fell on the floor. It was, I, wow. I, I couldn't believe it myself. At the time, it was the first time I worked with a two-year-old, and I couldn't believe how fast the change you know, uh, happened. It was literally overnight. I was thinking the child was overtired and I was worried it wouldn't last. I mean, to be completely transparent, I was really shocked at how fast the change happened and how it just got better over time. Every day, the parents were calling me wow. to tell me, um, you know, and so it's hard to believe with all the things that you have to do as a parent, mm-hmm. that color and lighting and all of these things can make that big of an impact, but they absolutely do. This is, this mm-hmm. is what we respond to, all of us, but kids on the spectrum, to, it's like to the 20th power. It's mm-hmm. huge. And it empowers parents because that means you guys, the parents, can make a change for your kids and you'll see as a positive shift. And I want parents to feel empowered instead of helpless. Well, you know, unfortunately we we're a little short on time because of some of our technical problems. So we're, we're, we're really at the end of the show, but if, um, if there's parents out there who are just invigorated and excited about this or who have more questions and just want to get more information or, or advice from you, um, is there a good way to learn more about, uh, you, your group, how to contact you, uh, what's the best way? They can, call, they can go to www.brushoflove.com. You can sign up for our free tips. You can email us at info at brushoflove.com. And uh, you can also Facebook. We have um, facebook.withabrushoflove, facebook.com slash withabrushoflove. Our Twitter is Brush of Love, and you can find me on Facebook either under With a Brush of Love or Lauren S. Henry. And um, I believe our contact information is listed there as well, but those are the best ways to reach us. Fabulous. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, I really love this 
fresh perspective, um, or at least fresh for us since we haven't addressed it yet. Um, but I, I think it was great to kind of learn more about this and uh, learn more about the different ways we can uh, support our kids that maybe we're not thinking about. Well, thank you so much. I really hope that it offered some helpful information, and I appreciate the time today. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. Um, you know, you know, before we before we wrap up for the, for the week or for the day, uh, I I really um, I'm really excited about today's show. I I think you know everyone out there. I know you guys got something out of this, and and the thing that I'm really taking away is just how much the things we do for our kids are good for a lot of kids. Um, every kid out there, I'm sure, could benefit from this. I'm, I'm thinking of my, my little nephew as we're having this dialogue of how can I make his room more sensory friendly now that he has a, a new sister on the way uh, who's due actually in about a month? Um, uh-huh. Are there things I can do and bring to the table and make that more of a sensory friendly environment? Because we all feel the sensory and yeah, I'm – thinking about my own home and I am someone who is very susceptible. And so if I feel this way, if my nephew probably feels this way and we can communicate these things, how much more of a thought and conversation can we have for our kids on the spectrum who maybe can't communicate or can't clearly communicate some of these uh, sensory likes and dislikes. Well, you're absolutely right, and if I may, I just want to offer your listeners, um, you know, the first 10 people, if you want to go ahead and email me, I'm happy to offer a 20-minute free consultation. Well, that is a great offer for everyone out there. Guys, take advantage if this is something you feel like is going to be great for your kids, uh, because I think it it will be great for a lot of them. And, um, you know, my, my, my final thought for all of you is just, you know, what I like about this approach, what I like about this idea is it's another thing that fits together. It's about the team. It's about all of us coming together, the community of people, providers, friends, families, putting a true community around our kids. And I think this is one more component that can fit in so nicely with all of the things we've talked about week after week. So – uh, with my final 30 seconds, because I think that's all I got based upon my engineer's uh, notes, uh, thank you for joining us this week. As always, uh, please email me at moreinfo at autismtherapies.com if you have any questions or even if you've got some show ideas. I'd love to hear some of the topics that you guys have in mind. Um, I have a bunch of new stuff on the way already scheduled and booked, um, including, I think, a great – uh, dialogue next week with a very great documentary that's in the works focusing in on love and um, different people on the spectrum and their hopes and their dreams for their future, romantically speaking. And I'm ecstatic to have the conversation. Uh, please check out um, my video blogs. I've been trying to give you some new info there, some clinical stuff as well as some current events stuff. And I've got a couple new ones coming up in the next week. Um, we've been really on a run every week adding something new. Um, and then please join us again next week. I look forward to uh, a great show, as I said, and, uh, and more feedback from all of you. Have a great week. Take care, everybody. We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join us for another edition next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.